again for another episode of Knowledge Transfer, the podcast where we discuss interesting ideas, news, and content to stimulate that intellect and give you something to think about. My guest today is professional streamer Danny Papes, a good friend of mine who also shares my love of esports. He's here to talk to us about the future of the video game industry and his hopes for esports and what it will become. So, Danny, welcome and thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. So. Why don't we just start with you and um, kind of get a little bit of background on you? So, what makes you passionate about games? How did you? Uh, how did this? Did the video game life choose Danny Papes, or did Danny Papes choose the video game life? Yeah, well, I uh, I, I grew up with an older brother who's about ten years older than me, uh, who was a big gamer. So I never really discovered it on my own. That was a big way for us to connect, you know, with that big age gap. So. Uh, early on, games like Kingdom Hearts and the early Final Fantasies were, our, you know, that was the best way for us to communicate with each other and emotionally connect. So that was kind of my entry point. And then, you know, I was an athlete growing up and so always into competition. And so when games started to satisfy that, uh, that itch, yeah, that itch, when it started to scratch that itch, that's when it really hooked me. But um, yeah, so I just, I've been playing my whole life and yeah, and I, I, I like I like uh, you know the competitive trend in gaming, and uh, I think it has a lot of longevity, and I think it's a lot of fun. Cool. So where has uh, that brought you to today? I know you do some streaming. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I've had a Twitch account for a couple of years, and in high school I would stream for friends and stuff, and they would you know just yell at me to take my shirt off while I was playing and stuff <laughs> like that. But um, classic friends. Yeah, yeah. Uh, once once PUBG was released last year, uh, that was really the first game that I was really interested in being good at and competing in. You know, so I was playing in early access for a while and then it uh you know, then it was starting to blow up on Twitch and so I started I started tre- streaming. I had a webcam and a gaming headset, so I just threw it all together. So yeah, so now I just I stream when I have, you know, free nights or free days, um when I'm playing squads with friends or solos and it's mostly PUBG and Fortnite and you know, those are the most popular games and I think they've you know, created an interesting, uh, an interesting competitive environment to be a part of. So, do you choose the games that you choose because they are the popular games, or because they have something that appeals to you, and you just tend to gravitate towards them? Obviously, there's a there's a threshold of popularity. I think for it to get that competitive uh, aspect, you know, I stream myself. I stream playing, you know, Fallout, or you know, I've, I play other games on stream and. I think those games have the most appetite, or there's the biggest appetite for those kinds of games, and um, so the popularity adds into it. It's a, it's a lot of things, and I think it's what's what I'm playing most, what's fun to play, and mm-hmm. um, you know, if I'm going to sit down for four or five hours and play a game right now, it's Fortnite and PUBG. I can do that. Mm-hmm. So, so it sounds like, and I think this is one of the cool things about the streaming profession is. You know, you are doing what you love, and you dictate what that's going to be. So that's that's cool that you get to make those decisions. And then, so kind of speaking to that, what do you think the future looks like for you in this area? Is this something that you're going to do casually? Is this something that you know, hey, if you get the opportunity and make your big break, you you, you want to you know keep riding, or is this something that's a little bit more casual? Yeah, I think I definitely wouldn't plan for it to be anything more than casual. Um, I think I'd like to. You know, when I'm at school and things like that, I'd like to have it be a, you know, maybe it's something I'm doing most weekends, and um, because I don't, I wouldn't say I have a community. Most of the people who ever tune in are people I know, but you know, there are a couple, there are a couple people who come in that are just randos on the internet that mm-hmm. now have I've gotten to know through it, um, and so in that sense, I'd like to keep that going. 
I, I mean, I'm going to be playing games. I can't. I don't envision myself stopping playing games, and so I think as long as I'm doing that, and as long as I have a computer that can handle streaming, then there's no there's no real downside to clicking start stream while I'm on there and having music on in between games and stuff. But um, I think I think for me and for a lot of people, as you know, a lot of people growing up in athletics, and when that starts to fizzle out and you kind of leave that phase behind, it's a great outlet for that competitive nature, that competitive that competitive competitiveness that you seek. So, you know, in that sense, I, I definitely think it's going to be, a, I'm going to continue to want to be competitive. Sure. So getting into the main topic of our discussion today, we want to go over, you know, the esports industry and what's going on and you know, where we think you know, it's headed and what do you think, what do we think the important elements of it are going to be of its future success? Why don't we get a little bit of a lay of the land and why don't you tell us what are the big esports titles out right now? What what are the things that people are talking about? You touched a little bit on Fortnite and PUBG. Um, are those the only two, or are there a few others? Yeah, I'd say that if we're talking about you know what's established as an esports scene right now, I'd argue that PUBG and Fortnite aren't quite there yet. Um, you know, we're starting to see, starting to hear from the developers, and starting to see more development in a you know more organized things. But right now, it's more like a traditional kind of competitive gaming atmosphere of community created tournaments and fundraising kind of events um so right now i think we're looking at you know lcs so league of legends uh overwatch league overwatch and blizzard and then um you know the competitive dota league those are the three i think those are the three established esports that uh you know we can really we we know what they are and we have a pretty good idea of what they will continue to be so you talked a little bit about what the current ones are, what the ones are peaking over the horizon. Uh, what about trends? Because I, I've noticed in you know my experience that there's definitely, you know, there have been trends in gaming. First, it was maybe uh, fighter games like Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat, and then it was you know platformers was its own trend, and you know there, so there's been all these kind of evolutions. More recently. What do you think the trends have been, and what do you think the future trends are? Yeah, well, I think it's it's hard. It's definitely obviously it's difficult to predict where things will go. You know, I'm not sure anyone saw Battle Royale coming in the sense of it exploding like this. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the people who are playing H1Z1 and Arma, uh, they they knew. But um, yeah, I think I, I think the only thing you can we can really know is that what esports looks like right now, it's not going to look like in probably 10 years. Sure. Um, and it could be, I think, I'm not sure that the trend has to be a new genre of gaming that didn't exist before, or it's just people are ready for a change and want to go back. Um, you know, we had, you know, like you said, we had the fighting games, and then we kind of had, a, you know, CSGO, or I shouldn't say CSGO, but Counter-Strike 1.6 and Source were, you know, another early kind of, serious competitive game and then CSGO, which started has started to fizzle out pretty significantly. Um, but now, we've, although it's different, we're kind of getting pulled back into shooters in the post-MOBA era that we're in right now. So, yeah, I think it's just the, the biggest trend is that it's going to be constantly changing and, you know, it's going to be important for past developers and current developers and future developers to be aware of that and be able to either, you know, continuing to change their game to offer something new or to be ready to create something new. So that's really interesting because one of the questions that I want to ask you is how do um, games balance this idea of 
needing to be new and fresh with the fact that when you establish a league like the Overwatch League, you're kind of betting a lot of money as the developer that that game will continue on. Uh, you don't want to establish a league if, if you think that it's going to fall out of popularity in just a few years. So how do you think that they're going to be able to maintain that balance? Yeah, well, I think I think there's it's when a lot of people are talking about this, especially in gaming. A lot of it is just your intuition of what you think is going to happen. And if it were me, when the LCS was first starting, I would say I just can't imagine people are going to want to keep watching this for the next few years. And yet, every year since it started, it continues to grow and continues to pull in more viewership and more money into the uh, into that realm. So I think you know it seems to be a pretty sustainable model right now that you can just add changes slowly over time to your game and it continues to pull in new players which for the most part viewers are players of the games which is such a fascinating thing about the uh, that realm that's really separates it from sports i think you know the majority of nfl viewers are not football players themselves on the weekends so we're talking about this idea of being able to maintain interest over a long period of time and so obviously you want to you have this issue like you said of a lot of people that watch the games are players themselves. And so when they lose interest in playing the game, are they going to stop watching? You know, that, I, yeah. I think that's, that's definitely an issue. And um, I think for me, it's, that's, that's the real crux of this whole thing is there's a lot of people that, you know, see esports as like the next big thing that it might even supplant traditional sports in a lot of ways, but that's only going to happen if, the games that are created have that uh, that longevity, that ability to hold on and, and to create like a, a lasting franchise. And like you say, I think you know LCS. It's it's tough. They don't change. They don't play on different maps, right? They don't change a lot of the elements up in that way. But they've been able to find ways to to keep it varied and change it up in other ways. They keep adding new champions, which adds adds different strategies. So I think as long as you can keep it dynamic in a few ways, that might just be enough. Um, but I, I mean, personally, I also think that a big part of this is creating more established teams with a little bit more, you know, drama. Everyone loves a little bit of a story thrown in. They don't just want to, you know, rally for, oh, you know, SK, SKT Telecom, like, you know, the, oh, they're just, you know, some team promoted by, you know, some telecom uh, company and, and, and that be the end of that story. They, they, like People love hearing about Faker, and they love talking about like the potential that he has to be like to being the, one of the best players in the world and what he can do. And, and so I think you know, that's a big part of it. So there's a lot of elements in my mind that are going to go into making sure that they're, uh, this works out. Yeah, I think, I think one really important thing, and it's within that realm of keeping your game dynamic, is having an open dialogue with your player community. Mm -hmm. You know, if they are getting bored with the game, you want to know that as a, as a developer. So making sure you have those channels, you know, you don't want to do everything your player community wants because you might, you know, you know, you know more about your game than they do, presumably, in some, in some areas. But you want to, you know, you need to listen to them and, you know, what better way to continue to make your game appealing to the people playing it than to, you know, if they say... You know, the jungle is really, you know, the, in League of Legends, the jungle is really boring. It's really unidimensional. It's like, okay, well, we'll add these plants that can launch you to different places so it makes the combat or getting caught out a totally different experience. And um, so I think, yeah, so it's just, you've got to be figuring out within your own team as a developer, 
what you know, what do you want for the game? But yeah, having that open dialogue is crucial. And I think you touched on a really important point that is really resonates with me is this idea that developers really need to be in touch with the fans. Uh, we were talking earlier before the show about this idea that esports evolved largely from its fan base, and it's the fans that got these tournaments going that created the environment where esports could really grow from. And that now we're getting into a age of esports where you have Overwatch, which Blizzard basically from the beginning knew that they were going to turn into a major esport and that they were going to have a league and they were going to try to create teams. And so they needed to have a lot of faith that they could kind of jump this step of having a large player base, knowing that they were going to have a large player base that would then create the sport. They just were like, look, we're going to create this and we're going to hope that we got it right and we built the right thing and people will actually enjoy it and we will have a player base and a viewer base. Um, and luckily, you know, they've been pretty successful so far. Um, but you know, what it very well could have happened that, you know, you don't, the games that don't make it are the games that you don't hear about. So you don't know about all these times that I'm sure people have tried to make a new esport and failed. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the Overwatch example is just, I had so many concerns. I was really excited about a company like Blizzard, you know, mm-hmm. that's just has so much capital and so much experience in the industry and they have a lot to work with. You know, I was excited that they were willing to, invest so heavily into creating an esports scene but i was really worried about the game and you know like you said whether or not they were going to get it right um but you know their viewership is really solid and you know they have you know they've maintained a lot of interest in the game so it seems like they've you know for the most part been able to you know make good on that investment and this is perfect because this transitions well into the next thing i want to talk to talk to you about is issues that could get in the way of games becoming good esports because we again we were talking earlier about this and you had made the point that overwatch maybe has a few problems with it would you want to kind of elaborate a little bit on that yeah well this this is something that's kind of hard because i feel like i well i play i've played a lot of overwatch um and you know i got pretty into it with some friends last year i don't play it much anymore um but I think Overwatch really suffers from a huge difficulty in being a spectator of it. You know, it incorporates elements of shooters with MOBA elements. Um, You know, that's kind of the premise. Shooters create such a dynamic environment with so many different ways to move around it and to be positioned that it's very strange to imagine kind of a directional camera or a controlled camera that's able to appreciate everything that's happening. You know, if you're looking at a fight from a bird's eye view and a McCree lands a crazy headshot on, uh, you know, another, on an enemy player, on an enemy healer, let's say, if you see that from the bird's eye view, it's like, was that a good shot? I don't, was the McCree like moving? Was he getting shot at? Did, was there like some crazy combo with a teammate? Yeah, I think it's something that's, for me, been hard to watch, even though I, even though I understand what's happening, what, what abilities the characters have and you know, it's like Reinhardt just charged, and has it been eight seconds? Has it been six seconds? Is he ready to do it again? Kind of thing. Um, and I think, you know, I think Blizzard is, something Blizzard is Blizzard does, or you know, Overwatch League does, is that you know the replay system is doing a pretty good job of addressing that. Um, to me, it's not enough, but 
you know, where after a play, they kind of know what characters were heavily involved. And as the teams are resetting, something that's great by nature of the game is that, you know, there's normally really big lulls where teams are running back to, you know, coming back from spawn and they're waiting for the other teammates to respawn and getting back in the fight. But it's just, uh, you know, the replay kind of shows you the highlights from that fight and you get to see it from a player's perspective. So you have a better idea of, you know, what was good and what was an exciting moment in it. But. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's really interesting because to me, I, you know, I was exposed to this from, and we were talking a little bit about this before, this, I, this video, uh, this YouTube channel called Extra Credits, and they talk about this idea of esports viewability. And the example they have is you take poker. Like, poker was a game that there was some broadcasting of professional play for a decent amount of time, but people didn't watch it. It wasn't t- until they started to throw things up like the percentage of a, of a hand's chance to win, and they showed everybody's cards, and they, you know, and they put all this information out so that the viewer didn't need to know all of these things, like the percentages. They could just understand the big decisions and kind of understand you know the nuances of what the players were kind of deciding to do they were looking at that higher level strategy along with those players and that was what created the most engagement and i think similarly to your point this idea that games need to be you need to be able to appreciate those good headshots or those smart plays and in order to do that you need a certain amount of information and to make sure that all of that information is available to the viewer is a difficult thing to do. So one of the things we were talking earlier about is this idea of uh, new technologies. So augmented reality and virtual reality and whether or not that might be something that allows viewership of esports to it, it both enhances that element of it but it also introduces these technologies to the mainstream in another way because historically it's been entertainment that has really championed new technological advancements like you had you know vhs was a big thing for you know movies and stuff like that and um you know dvd that kind of stuff all of these things were you know the uh, i think it was like when playstation when playstation one could play DVDs like that was a big thing in deciding between DVDs and Blu-ray or like early on or something like that. So it's so a lot of these things um, you know are very dependent. New technological adoption is very dependent on which kind of these entertainment industries championing them. And I think that um, esports is a really great opportunity for AR and VR because. You know, I know a lot of people, some people that work in the space, and I know a lot of people who are excited about those technologies, but, um, you know, unfortunately they haven't really picked up a lot of steam, and it's kind of like a question of, well, how, how is that going to happen? And so my hope is that esports will play a little bit of a role. So talking a little bit more about, like, esports and, you know, the future of esports, what do you think are the important things that, um, you know, we talked a little bit about this idea of staying in touch with their player base and being able to change and adopt on the fly. Is there anything else that you kind of think that esports, the industry at large, or even just specific games will need to do in order uh, to stay relevant as they go forward? I think that, uh, I actually think a point you made earlier about teams and stories is a huge part of it. And I think it's something that Riot has done a phenomenal job, you know, in the LCS with, with there's so many video documentaries and, um, you know, you know, really well-made stories about 
you know, Bjergsen and about TSM's dominance in, you know, North America or about Faker and things like that. Um, so I think they're a great example of this, but, um, you know, you need to, you know, you need to be, you need to really support the organizations that are within the league. So, you know, I think, again, this is one of those things where you look at professional sports as a huge inspiration or model for, because when you think of ultimate fandom, Mm -hmm. you know, those are, you know, sports is where that lies. And, um, you know, being an NFL fan or an NBA fan or a college sports fan, you know, you can kind of artificially create a ton of interest in your sport or game. You know, when I think about my interest in the LCS, what pulled me in really was the 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 original Cloud Nine team. You know, sneaky high balls, lemonation, and um, and medios. Having this group within the league, you know, makes it a much more personal. You know, makes you feel much more personally connected to it all. Um, I think uh, other developers should, you know, learn from a uh, you know follow Riot's example in a lot of ways. But then also, I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's going to take supporting the players, supporting the organizations. And I think, you know, one of the most, maybe the most interesting aspect of esports is how close you can get to the players mm-hmm. uh, outside of the competition. You know, when you look at professional sports, they're celebrities. You know, they're so disconnected from you. If you want to know more about Myth or you want to watch this player, he's streaming every day for six to eight hours. You just can spend so much time with these people that you're fascinated with or inspired by or really like. And so I think. There's so much potential to get people kind of really riled up and become huge fans of teams and players and stories, and you just need to continue to coddle that. And it seems that seems to be what everyone's doing. You know, TSM has a streaming team, and their these organizations really support their players and their streaming uh, goals. And you know, that's going to be the most crucial thing is continuing to support teams and players. So you're saying that it's really important that the industry continue to paint a deeper picture than just, hey, these are teams that are competing, but also kind of drawing on the individual players and what they do. I think, to me, that talks a lot to this um, the origins of a lot of these players is they started as streamers that then you know got onto these teams. Um, so, yeah, that story is really important. The other thing I'm kind of interested to hear your opinion about is Overwatch League is a little different than, you know, say the LCS, where the teams are actually from different places. They have geographical homes. And I think Blizzard's rationale for this was, hey, if we have a New York team, when if people who, you know, maybe don't know about Overwatch hear about a tournament or something like that going on and they hear it's, hey, it's New York versus San Francisco or something like that. And they're you know a diehard New Yorker. They're much more likely to get into it just on basis of you know hometown. Do you do you think that's working out for them? Do you think that's a good play? What, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I think that's uh, you know a fantastic idea. And it's again so much another advantage that esports has right now is there's so many other uh, competitive leagues, esports and otherwise, you know professional sports that they can kind of pull from and figure out what you know just what kind of strategies work really well for those leagues. So I think that. You know, having that geographic that geographic model obviously comes from you know professional sports, and you know I think of college students who kind of a few months in you, you're not really paying attention to what sports are going on, and then you hear uh, oh like the volleyball team is in you know is playing for a spot in the NCAA tournament tonight, and everyone's like 
oh my god, you know, everyone gets really excited and they're like, oh, we need to, you know, we we need them to win. And even though you're not really that invested or you haven't been, you kind of it kind of pulls you in because you, you know it's like you said, you just have that, you know, you're a, a diehard fan of your school, you're a diehard fan of your city, and um, you know, and you look at the World Cup, you're a diehard fan of your country, kind of thing, and it, and you know, you're going to pull people in who might not stay, but. You know, you're gonna. If you pull enough people in, some of them are. I think Overwatch League is really succeeding, uh, despite itself. Uh, you know, despite the core, the core gameplay and the game itself. And I think, you know, I think Blizzard has just done an outstanding job of creating the right structure for it. So the next thing I want to talk about are the hurdles. We've talked a little bit about them. So one of them definitely is viewability, you know, how, how easy it is to view. One of them is getting in fans and retaining fans, uh, longevity of the game. Are there any other hurdles that you think esports are kind of facing right now in order to make it a little bit more into the mainstream? Yeah, I, th- I think there are. I don't know how great of solutions there are, you know, in the immediate, in the near term. Um, I think that an acceptance of esports as a legitimate form of competition um, is a big hurdle that is facing right now and breaking through to the mainstream. You see the conversation on the on pretty much any if ESPN this is this is actually great. I, I recommend you do it because it's fun to read. But if ESPN writes a story about the LCS or Overwatch League, and you see it on your Facebook feed, the comment stream is incredible. It's just argument after argument after argument about whether or not it's a sport. Normally, and normally it's a conversation like football is a sport. This is not a sport, and uh, then you know, inevitably, someone says, "Well, chess is a sport," and you know, it's like you know, it's technical, and all of a Well, baseball, if you know, it has to be athletic. Baseball is not a sport. It's, you know, it's it's total mayhem, and I, I love it. But you know, I think just with time and as it grows in popularity, it's going to start to push through that. But that I think that's its biggest thing right now is that it's just there's still this stigma towards gaming that is, you know, you're just sitting in your room with a bag of chips, and you're who cares if you're good at clicking and pressing buttons, you know? Um, but it's like, who cares if you can throw a football really far? Um, or you can swing a bat really hard. You can break down anything to its core, and it sounds ridiculous that we care. And, you know, I think just... We just haven't gone to that point with esports yet, and I think that's coming. And um, and I think things like, you know, I think Fortnite has really helped, uh, you know, give a really big push because you're seeing all these celebrities who talk about it and you know you had ninja playing with drake which i know everyone loves to talk about but it really is that significant that you know you're kind of seeing you know drake is you know he's blown away by how good ninja is while they're playing and uh you know and they're playing with pro football players and stuff like that so i think that's probably going to be its biggest challenge but i think with time it's gonna you know it's gonna break through and i think this goes back to this idea of appreciation we're talking about one of the difficulties with viewability is the idea that you can't really appreciate the skill of the player and i think what you're getting at with drake saying you know how good ninja is it's so easy like you're saying to dismiss people and say oh you're just clicking buttons or whatever you try to play the game it's a whole nother story being a player of league of legends when i see faker play and the plays that he makes like there's a reason he's considered one of the best players and i can really appreciate that and i think so that goes a long way in getting people interested and i think to in my mind what makes the lcs so so great is that the commentators have been fantastic mm-hmm. about really highlighting what players do that that's that really set them apart? You know, the the strong plays they've been able to kind of dissect the game and really understand it in a more strategical term. So they're and they do a great job of explaining that to the viewers, so that 
as you're watching along, you really understand the different decisions that the players are faced with and, and how they're coping with making those decisions. And so, um, you know, is, is that something that you see in games like Fortnite as well? Is that, I don't know, obviously they're going to have to have commentators and stuff like that at some point. Yeah, I have, I have a couple thoughts on this. And I think just to talk about commentating in general, I think another big hurdle that games face is their viewability for people who don't play the game or who are new to it. You know, it's something that the LCS has done a great job with. You know, the commentating has done a really great job of addressing is that if you come in, you've never, you've played one game of League before and you're watching, you have no, there's no way for you to understand what's happening. There are 150 champions, all with four abilities and a passive. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Tom Kench has just eaten another player and you're like, you know, who knew that could happen? (laughs) You know, and the commentators do a great job of breaking that down for people. And so I think, um, and I think this is an advantage that games like Battlegrounds and Fortnite have is that they, or especially Battlegrounds, is you really it's very intuitive what what the gameplay is. You see a hundred alive in the corner, and that number is going down the whole game. And you shoot, you kill enemies. And Fortnite is pretty much the same thing, except there's the building aspect, which is complicated, but it's easy to understand. Okay, this a player can put a wall, a ramp, a floor, or a cone, you know. And I think. In terms of understanding the game, the commentators will have a, a different challenge with those games in that they have to make it exciting and they have to make it really clear when something you know really impressive has just happened. Because if again, if you know you cut to a bird's eye view of two people fighting and one of them lands the shot that kills the other player, you're not necessarily gonna be blown away just by seeing it, like, okay, he landed it. But then you cut if you you know, you can see if the commentators are seeing it from each player's perspective or they're showing you a replay from a player's perspective you get you know you see that the player uh you know just had a beautiful lean on one side of the street lean to the other and that's why the other guy missed and he hit him and um or you can see the crazy bullet drop that he had to calculate you know i think commentating is going to be huge and can really make or break it um and it's something that again the lcs and the overwatch league they've really done a great job with their structure and you know they're able to really address those challenges. Yeah, and it, and it even sounds like it's also a matter of uh, commentating will be different in the terms that, like, baseball commentating is different from golf commentating, is different from soccer commentating, you know, and they're all going to have their different flares and, and kind of have to play off what is what is interesting about the sport or what the sport revolves around. Cool. So now I want to talk a little bit about kind of the future of esports. We talk, we've talked a little bit about this, but what are you most excited about? I think that the greatest development in the last probably five years in esports is how player-friendly it's becoming um, in terms of for the professionals. In creating avenues for them to become professional, uh, you know, you see that with uh, Challenger tier and League, and you saw it with, you know, a little bit with Grandmaster and StarCraft II. So I think creating an, a reasonable avenue for professionals is great. But also, you know, you, I think Overwatch League learned a lot from Riot, um, and the LCS has kind of gotten there now with, you know, better player contracts and, you know, minimum salaries and good treatment of players and things like that, where early on there were a lot of issues with that. And Overwatch League from the get-go has had minimum salaries and really, you know, important rules for how, you know, players have to be treated within their organizations. So I think one of the things I'm really excited about is, you know, now players and organizations will not succeed in spite of the structure created by the developer. You know, they're going to be supported by it and be able to do bigger and better things with their product. Um, 
So I think that's something, no matter what game comes next, uh, or what game, already existing game, continues to exist, you know, I think, you know, it's going to become a much more positive environment and promote a lot of uh, high-level play and involvement. So, you know, I'm excited about that. Uh, You know, I'm just excited for what games are going to blow up and things like that. But um, I don't know, I guess I'm excited for... I'm really interested to see how Blue Hole and PUBG Corp you know, kind of crafts an esports structure for PUBG and how Epic is going to do it for Fortnite. PUBG has been a little more under wraps with what they're going to do. They've, you know, they've said, you know, Brendan Green, the creator, said from the get-go that this is going to be an esport. That's what I've wanted this whole time. You know, I've wanted to make my own game and I want it to be a competitive game. Um, And how they're going to go about creating that, you know, will be interesting. Epic, you know, had a huge, made an epic announcement that they're going to pledge $100 million to the, you know, this coming year's worth of competitive gaming or competitive Fortnite, and so uh, what that's actually going to look like, we don't really know. There aren't a ton of details, just that it's going to be, you know, open to players, and um, they're not going to. That's not going to involve third parties. So, uh, you know, I'm excited to see what, really, what uh, developers are able to create in terms of structure for their for their games that are going to make them, you know, make people want to play them and watch them. So, the last thing that we were kind of going to touch on here, and. And, you know, obviously, if there's anything else you want to talk about, we can definitely make sure we have time for that. But what are the things that are going to be phased out? So, you know, we've talked a lot about what we're excited about, what we think are good, what we think are bad. You know, what has to go? What has to kind of get dropped in order for esports to to keep making it and keep moving on to the the next step? Well, I think, uh, unfortunately, one of the biggest things that is going to have to phase out, at least on a grand scale, is... You know, really heavily player and community-driven competition, um, at least in the big name games. And I think uh, so. I think you know you're, we're going to have to see more deference to the developers and the structure they've create they want to create. Um, obviously, there's going to be a balance, but you know, I think that's that's something that is going to change. And you know, I think I think that a lot of people aren't you know don't love the sound of that, and it's a lot of like. You think of melee, to- you know, people who used to play in melee tournaments, or you know, they hate Nintendo because they never got the support they wanted. Now they think, you know, they can't trust any developer, kind of thing. But um, you know, I think it's going to be important that if you want to drive esports into the mainstream, that that you know, you're going to have to rely on, you're going to need organization. You know, there are no professional sports that just exist in you know as players and as teams. You know, it's it's all built around something. Um, is there anything you think needs to? change or will have to change as it continues to grow? Well, so for me, I think it's the pitfalls that we've seen certain developers fall into that have kind of become clear that they need to avoid. I think EA and the way it's monetized things, loot boxes, uh, the whole CSGO and gambling online, like pay to to win situations. I mean, I, I guess these are a little bit less less of an issue for like pro play you're not gonna you know everyone has access to you know everything or whatever it is so um you know and, and i think like overwatch and league like the only things you're buying are like skin so it's it's really not not an issue but you know just something to be aware of um going forward yeah i think yeah i think there's definitely a long list of things that you can say cannot enter the space um and obviously a pay to win style setup you know an ea style setup just you know, you just can't, 
that will ruin them, you know, and it, it may make a flurry of money really fast, but it's just, it's not sustainable and it's just going to breed so much distrust and frustration within the, you know, what is a really passionate community. So yeah, I, I definitely, uh, I definitely think that that makes sense. But it was interesting to me because, you know, to some degree, I, I disagree with you when it comes to, um, this idea that, Gaming companies should take complete control over tournaments and that you almost don't have lower level fan groups like playing in tournaments. I, you know, I don't think it would be very hard for like, for example, League of Legends to um, have some sort of, and they've kind of implemented this to some degree with, I think it was like Clash or something like that, where they, um, you could like have a tournament, you have a group of friends and you play it in like a tournament for a week and you could like win against other people. And I think... So they're trying to strike a balance, but I, I think that that, to me, it's it's kind of a cool element that has a lot of potential. And so I think it's it's about more about how they play it up as opposed to um, do they include it or not. You know, black or white kind of issue. Yeah, um, I think yeah, I, I I definitely think that makes sense. And that you know, the Clash Project, or if that's if that's what it was called, it's mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think. Yeah, I think it's important to keep your, you know, make it so that players who are not professionals, you know, have a reason to keep coming back to it, and there's some kind of experience for them. Um, and uh, that's actually one. One uh, there was one talking point that I, I did want to mention that an interesting challenge for developers is: do you develop your game for the pro players or for hmm. the massive player player base? And something that you know, Riot has just decided that. You know, when they look at trends and champion imbalances, at least they used to, it was what's happening diamond and above. Um, you know, that's what we're going to really patch around. And, um, you know, obviously we'll take other concerns into account. You know, if they're think if there's like 70% win rates in bronze, obviously we'll make some changes. But, you know, I think, I think that's, that's kind of an example of what, I think that's more of an example of what I was talking about before of, you know, the developer is going to make the decisions that are going to maintain the longevity of the game and you're going to have to defer to them or let them make them. So I think, you know, if you're balancing your game to, you know, the largest percentile of players, you might have a ridiculous pro scene. That's not going to be, not going to attract a lot of interest or not be that exciting to watch. Uh, and so that's going to be a hard balance for developers to, to strike. I think the banning system in league of legends is an outstanding way of addressing that. You know, if riot finds a perfect balance in, uh, challenger and you know there are five champions now that in bronze are unstoppable you know you can ban their 10 champ up to 10, 10 champions banned every game so you can really you know they've created a great way of addressing that but that's um you know i think that's you know it's a big challenge that they're just gonna have to navigate yeah and you know i feel like i could talk forever about how smart the uh riot system is for yeah you know, balancing champions and keeping the game interesting and the strategy. They've done really a great job and they've got a fantastic team there. Um, but I, I think that really, you know, speaks to, you know, how difficult it is to, to balance these things. And like, like you say, you, you have to be cognizant of both your high level pro play and your, you know, casual gamer. And I think that is a really difficult line to walk for sure. You know, and I've, and I've talked about in, um, with, with friends about like this idea of you also have to play those different areas off each other really well. Like for example, when you're developing a champion, so talk about Galio, right? And 
for those of you listeners who don't know about the LCS or Riot or League of Legends, Galio is this champion that um, didn't really see much professional play, didn't even see much casual play for a very long time, and they reworked him. They basically gave him new abilities, and one of the his main ultimate ability is he flies up in the air and he slams down on the ground uh, where an ally champion is. And it's a very flashy ability. It has a very strong effect, and it's very cool to watch. And I personally thought his rework was phenomenal from so many standpoints. They had um, they made a, a ability that, from a casual player standpoint, is amazing to use. It's a lot of fun, and from a professional player standpoint, it's very powerful. It has an interesting effect on the game, and from a viewer standpoint, it's really cool to watch. And then on top of that, with the rework, they changed his character model, and they, he had all these different, you know, skins that, uh, you know, cosmetic looks, and they made all of those look really, really cool. And, like, I'm sure as soon as they did the Galio rework, and he saw a ton of pro play, and it was very flashy, and had all these really cool skins, I'm sure everybody that was watching pro play, if they didn't own Galio, they quickly bought a Galio, and if they didn't own a Galio skin, they probably bought a Galio skin. I love to imagine Riot looking at like the least purchased champions and you know reworking them to try to get you know get that big, the big uh, flash of sales. But yeah, so it's it's amazing to me how you you know how many different elements they have to think about, and it, it's it's very complex. So it's it's cool in my mind to to talk about these things because it is such a balancing act. And, you know, I think we've talked a lot about this idea that you you can't leave the player base behind because uh, they're your viewership. They're, you know, the people that are going to, you know, drive your sales. And you, you can't get too caught up in creating this big thing, ch- you know, chasing after what traditional sports have set as precedent because it's going to be different. And um, you got to listen to people to, to make sure that it is what it needs to be. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, it's been fabulous talking to you. Uh, I really, really enjoy getting to, to hear your opinion on this stuff. I've learned a lot. Where can people go to watch you on Twitch? Uh, you can find me on twitch.tv slash D-O-G-G-Y D-A-W-G-G Doggy Dog. Um, and uh, that's also the uh, that's also the YouTube channel. Lots of lots of great uh, great highlights and clips on there. But um, yeah. Oh, cool! Go. I didn't I didn't even know you had a YouTube. Oh, channel. Oh yeah, there's 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 some there's some good stuff on there. All right, I'm gonna check <laughs> that out. Um, well, that wraps it up. Another episode of Knowledge Transfer. As always, you can find new episodes on SoundCloud or Google Play. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. We really appreciate anything you guys have to say. We are building the podcast as we go, and your input is greatly appreciated. Until then, we will continue to do our part to provide you stimulating content and exciting discussion. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, keep it cerebral.